This evening we are going to take a look at two different passages. The first is from Romans 10. The first passage will be from Romans 10, taking a look specifically at verses 1 through 15. And then second, we will be flipping back to John chapter 14, beginning at verse 5. So again, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, and John chapter 14, verses 5 through 15. After that, we'll be looking at Lord's Day 52 in the Heidelberg Catechism. So again, Romans 10, John 14, and Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52, specifically question and answer 128. Hear now the word of the Lord from Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Thus far the reading in Romans 10. Turning over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 5 and continuing through verse 15. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father? And that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for me, 
You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Thus far the reading of God's word. At this time, I invite you to turn, if you're able to, uh, in your either Psalter hymnals, or if you have another confessional book to the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, or if you are on your computer, uh, look for the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to look at Lord's Day 52, question and answer 128. Question answer 128. Normally, I like to do this as a call and response. However, I don't think I would get much of a response this evening. So question and answer 128. What does your conclusion to this prayer mean? Answer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever means we have made all these requests of you because as our all-powerful king, you not only want to, but are able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name, and not we ourselves, should receive all the praise forever. Thus far the reading of the confessional standard. As we look at the Heidelberg Catechism this evening, through the eyes of the passages in John 14 and in Romans 10, we're specifically looking at prayer. In fact, the title of this message is The Value of Prayer. And I want to look at the value of prayer in a couple of different ways. The first is the value that prayer has. Specifically, what gives it value. But the second thing, and probably the maybe more weighty thing I want to discuss this evening, is that prayer has this value for us that is so unmeasurable. And yet, it is that thing that we so easily discard. Even as Christians, it's hard for us sometimes to just sit down and pray. I was looking over a Barna study, who Barna is a, a well-known organization that looks at religious beliefs of the United States, and they asked a bunch of different pastors, thousands of pastors, how much per day do you pray? How much do you think on average that a pastor will pray? Now, many of you sitting at home, especially in quarantine, maybe you think it's a little more. Uh, maybe it's a half hour, maybe it's an hour a day that pastors pray. But the Barna study was stark in this. <clears throat> the average time a pastor spends praying each day is between 5 and 15 minutes a day. 5 and 15 minutes. The average time a Christian spends praying is between 30 seconds and 5 minutes a day. Now again, these are people that are from all walks of life, all spectrums of belief. Everything from Roman Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Reformed Christians, Evangelical Christians, any, anybody that would classify themselves as a Christian is included in this study. But it's a stark contrast that in our world, 
where when the gospel is preached, we see so many things that are wrong, so many things that are contrary to what God says, where our culture, where the, the world and our own flesh and the devil pull us side and side and they, they try and, and rock us off course, rather than fleeing to the throne of the one we know we can get strength from, No, I just got to put my nose to the grindstone and just work a little harder. We'll get through. Or, I don't have time for this. I woke up late, I got to get out the door, I can't do devotions, I just, I just got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Or, well, I worked hard today, I'm really tired. I'm not even doing dinner. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to go to bed. I'll sleep. And do it all over in the morning. You know, when we devalue prayer, we really kind of lose that element in our lives, don't we? We lose that element to Christianity where we realize that we can come together with our God at any time of the day. That his presence is here with us. Even in our prayer, even meeting over the internet through a camera and a computer or a phone or a tablet. No, Lord, I got this. I just got to keep going. You see, when we devalue prayer, we devalue who Christ is in our lives. How do I know this? Well, when we read our Heidelberg Catechism question and answer this evening, it's the last part, in fact, it's the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's days previous, again, the Heidelberg Catechism was not meant to be read out of order, completely devoid, one question from another. But just for the sake of structure, I've decided we're going to take one question this evening, and Lord willing, I'll be back next week and we'll talk about the next one after that. But for this evening, after the six requests of the Lord's Prayer, the Heidelberg Catechism asked the question, what does your conclusion to this prayer mean? And the conclusion is divided into three parts. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. And so tonight we're going to look at this conclusion to the Lord's Prayer, seeing that prayer happens in the possession of Christ, that prayer produces and assures the presence of Christ, but that also prayer is designed for the praise of Christ, the possession of Christ, the presence of Christ, and the praise of Christ. The first phrase of our conclusion this evening is yours is the kingdom. 
We must realize that all of our prayers are within the scope of the possession of Christ. And I know it might be a little cliche right now, but the idea of Kuiper, that there is not one square inch in all of creation where the Lord Jesus does not declare, mine. You see, the operation of the six petitions before this, if you flip back or if you scroll back on your computer, you see that the first request is, hallowed be thy name. The second, thy kingdom come. The third, thy will be done. The fourth, give us this day our daily bread. The fifth, forgive us our debts. And the sixth, lead us not into temptation. All of these aspects, all of these things happen in a place. They happen within time, space, and matter. And our God is the God of time, space, and matter. You see, if our God was not the God of time, space, and matter, well, prayer really wouldn't matter then. You see, he has to be the God of time. He has to be over time. Because if he was subject to time, if the kingdom of time was not under his control, then God would have a beginning and have an end. He would have a bound time to do certain things. He would be fancy to the whims of a life that begins and a life that ends. There would not be an everlasting to everlasting. No, God would have a certain amount of time and when that was done, he would be subject to the whims of it. Our God must also be the God of space. So much in this world is about what we can see and hear, and we'll get to that. But there has to be a place for what we can see and hear and smell and taste for that to even exist. You see, even in Genesis 1.1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. There was a space that was already formed and created. But if he was subject to that, then the space of our God is finite. You can fit him inside the box, maybe of this, what they perceive as an ever-expanding universe. And if God can be boxed, that means that there is a height and a depth, a left and a right, that maybe we could even go without our God. You see, if God is not the God of space... If our God is not the God of that which things are in, our God becomes subject to the limitations of that which things are in. Space. Our God is also a God of matter. In six days, he created the world. We know this both from Genesis 1, but also in various places in the Gospels where Christ talks about in six days God created the world. The preamble to the Ten Commandments. Or sorry, preamble to commandment number four, where he says you shall rest on the seventh day. The seventh, the, God rested on the Sabbath day. But in six days he created the world. You see, God has shaped and molded the sky above the water and the earth beneath. The animals that populate the skies, the water and the land, the plants that grow here and there, as green starts to produce itself around our homes, as flowers start to push up, 
And we see the beauty of creation once again as the seasons have changed from winter into spring, as the weather starts to change, as precipitation goes from snow to rain, as we see this wonderful power that's all around us, as the wind has been blowing around today, and we see sticks and other things fall from the sky, and we see the power of the wind. You realize that we have a God who is more powerful than that. He is not bound by mere matter. He's not bound to be touched and tasted and smelled and seen. That he is beyond that. That he is a God of spirit and those who believe worship in spirit and in truth. But at the same time, it doesn't mean he's outside of these things completely. God works within time. God works within the history of the world from Genesis through Revelation to show the wonderful message and beauty of the story of salvation, to show that there is a beginning, that there is a fall, that there is an intermediary period where he chooses a people, he brings them out, he selects them to be the heirs or the, the ancestors of his son who comes down and interjects himself into time itself, into space itself, and into matter itself, and changes the course of the world. So that redemption for you and for me can take place. You see... All these petitions, all things that we could possibly think of that our prayers could be about the adoration of God in the world, the supplication of our, day, of our daily and basic needs, the forgiveness of the sins that we commit, and the good works that we omit. All of these things happen in time, in space, in matter. And yet all of these things are under the kingship of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who tells us all things have been placed under his feet. The second thing we want to look at this evening is the presence of Christ as we look at the phrase, yours is the power. You see, the power of prayer, it does not come as the power of our own being, our own value of worth. No, the power of prayer is due to the power of the one who makes our prayers effectual. In our passage, in Romans 6, it says, But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. It's a little confusing sometimes when you just read it through, but the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? As if Christ had not died. As if Christ did not Come down from this earth to save us. It's not to say that there is no salvation. After all, this is basically saying that I don't need a Christ. 
I can work. I can work myself into heaven. I will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ and his ascension, his guarantee to nothing. The other question there, who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, is a denial. Who will descend into the deep? Who has come down? Who is the one who has come from heaven, who has emptied himself, who has died on the cross, who has descended into the pangs and agonies of hell for you and for me to show that we are saved from those things, from the punishment of the sin that we have committed, the punishment that we so justly deserve, You see, if we deny the reality of the death of Christ, there is also no salvation. You see, it is the death of Christ that gives power to prayer. It gives power to prayer because we don't pray in our own name. We say, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. There is someone we pray to. We don't come before God and say, God, we are here. We are going to ask you of these things. I have earned this, so please, by all means, give what is deserved to me. You see, when we look at the power of prayer... When we say yours is the power. The power of prayer is not our own. It is not because we say, Lord, we come before you because of who we are. In fact, we don't have the pedigree of even Paul. Paul, born of the Hebrews circumcised on the eighth day, the tribe of Benjamin, in regards to zeal of Pharisee, persecution of the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. We don't even have that pedigree. Most of us are Gentiles. I myself am an amalgamation of English, French, Dutch, and many other plethora of things. And I assume that there are many even listening today that are a plethora of ethnic diversities. Most of us do not have a Hebrew pedigree. And even then, that Hebrew pedigree is only special because God chose them. He chose them not because there were a a wonderful, powerful nation. No, if he wanted to do that, he would have chosen the Egyptians or the Hittites or the Amalekites. He could have chosen those peoples here and there. He could have chosen the Romans. He could have chosen many of of the other people groups. No, he picks a stiff-necked people. He picks a stubborn people. A people who, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, he brings them to the promised land, and within a generation, they forget who he is. You have the spiral of the book of Judges. You see, there is not a pedigree in this world. There is not 
an essence, a being in this world that says, I am allowed to stand here before God and demand. We also can't take pride in our work. Our works fall short. In fact, the word sin itself is derived from a Hebrew word that is the word picture of an arrow missing its mark, falling short from the point of aim. There is a standard, and we miss it every single day. Our depravity is total. It is not something that can be shunted off, merely just glossed over. It's not something to say, well, you know, God, I know my ledger has read in it, but look at all the good I've done. Certainly that, that must tip the scales in my favor. If we really, truly asked ourselves that question, what are the lists of things that we've done wrong? What are the lists of things that we should have done right that we haven't done right? Have we prayed enough? Have we lived every moment for the glory of God? Have we treated our neighbor with kindness and respect in a selfless way? Have we truly devoted every aspect of our being, our heart, soul, mind, and strength to the glory of God alone? Have we kept Him first in our lives? Have we not hated our neighbor? Have we not, in this time of quarantine, become frustrated with family and loved ones? Have we gotten frustrated over things that aren't on the shelves? People that maybe have taken too much? People that don't respect the law and that go out and spread disease anyway? Are we getting mad at maybe our lawmakers? They're cooping me up for two weeks, for three weeks, really? For what? I'm not sick. It's not my problem. No, when we really look at the scales, there really is no comparison. Our sins are far too great. And so we come not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is not merely the words we speak either. It's not because we are able to come with flowery language, but even the Holy Spirit himself groans on our behalf. A couple chapters previous to the passage we read in Romans, Romans 8 tells us that in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's why when we end our prayer, when I try to end my prayer, I try to end it 
not only in the name of Jesus Christ, but also through the operation of the Holy Spirit. Our prayer is a Trinitarian aspect, a Trinitarian concert. They all work together, one God conversing with his people, a covenantal conversation where we, bound to the love and God, to the love of our God, we are able to converse freely, openly, and candidly with him. We do so because we rest in the presence of Christ in this world. His is the power. Finally, this evening, I want to talk about the third aspect here, the third phrase. Yours is the glory forever. You see, the created place where these petitions take place and the sustaining power of Christ in our prayer, they provide the driving force for the gratitude that we are to live with in the praise of Christ. Our prayer is not powerful or effective because we work hard enough. Our prayer is dependent upon the providential placement, providential care, and providential promise of God. It is because we are utterly dependent upon Him that we are able to come to Him. We do not come to Him and say, Lord, I have done so much by myself, you know, I just need this little extra to get me through. I, I, I just need you to kind of boost me over that edge. I've worked hard, now just, you know, give me that nudge. I know you can do that at least. No. You see from the ground up, it's grace. From the ground up, the place where we exist is given by grace. The ability to speak before the throne of God as Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Christ. So too when we speak, we speak before the throne of God in heaven. Knowing that we have an intercessor, an, inter an intermediator an intercessor on our behalf. You see, everything, every aspect is done because of the grace of God. And so it drives us to the throne of grace. It drives us to the throne of God. And all we can say, even at the end of time in the book of Revelation, is holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, our understanding of prayer, the understanding of the value of prayer, is that it is for a purpose. And that purpose is not our own. Our purpose is is that of the one who has given us the ability to pray. Our prayer is covered in the righteousness of Christ. Like the robes that clothe the prodigal son. We are given the status to speak only because God has given us the status to do so. 
for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, like the prodigal son, your past is not important. We are new creations. Your pedigree does not save you. However, your paternity does. Your pedigree, your ancestry, does not save you. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you moved to or where you've moved from or where you live right now. What matters is who is your father. And I don't mean who is your earthly father. I don't mean that maybe if you're sitting on the couch, the dad that's sitting next to you, maybe the one who's sharing in this message with you. No, I'm talking about your spiritual father. Who is your spiritual, what is your spiritual paternity? Are you the son of God? Are you a son, a child of God, a daughter of God? Or are you a son of perdition? You see, it doesn't matter where you've come from. But it matters who your father is. If your father, if your derivation, your spiritual derivation is from God, then you can join with Christ. You're able to say, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. We work alongside Christ. We work with Christ. For our Father is the same. But our passage in John 14, and even this phrase here, yours is the glory forever, it also gives us a warning. Prayer is not to be audible navel-gazing. It's not to be, Lord, thank you for not making me like other men. Thank you that I am not like this person, that I was not this, that I was not that. That's not what it's supposed to be. We're not to come with a list of our wants, desires, demands, or even threats. Okay, God. You said I was going to get this. You said you love me. You said all things work for my good. Where's my good? No. <laughs> no, you see, quite simply, when we come in prayer, we must come in the name of the one who gives power to prayer. And it must be for the glory of God. John 14, 13 and 14 says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. There's two aspects here. First, that which is asked must be asked in the name of Jesus Christ. 
It must be his name attached to it. You must not pray for your own sake. You must pray for the name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. But the second aspect here is so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. It must be done. You must be requesting. You must ask for these things so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God alone. You see, here, Christ says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Verse 13. Our prayers are not to be, okay, Lord, I need a new car. I need a new house. You know, I, I really need a new job, so come on. No, we're called to be content. Even in this time of craziness, where we are told, stay in your homes. Don't come within six feet of people. Make sure that everything is disinfected. Make sure that you're staying far away from even your loved ones. Make sure that there is no cross-contamination. We have a God that says, come near. We have a God that says, I want to hear what you have to say. Because I know you are my child. And if I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, and if I ask that, Lord, if it be your will, I need a job to provide for my family. I need a car or just some form of transportation to get to and from work. It's too far to walk and it's too hard to bicycle. Lord, give me something, some mode of transportation so I can, I can still work, I can still be a blessing. Lord, I, I see you've called me here. I see where you want me to go. Lord, give me the faith and the strength and the grace to make it through to do it another day. Our prayers are not to be, okay, God, now I'm here. Show me what you got. You said this, and you said this, and you said this, and you said you're faithful, so give it to me. I want it in my time. I want what I want, and I want it now. No, it isn't a TV commercial where you need cash and you need it now. God isn't just going to drop dollar bills in your lap. But when we ask for our daily bread, when we ask that our debts physically and spiritually would be met, when we ask that we are not led into temptation, but that we are delivered from the evil one who would see us trip and stumble and fall to see our witness dashed upon the rocks of this world? No, when we conclude our prayer this evening, and in all times, when we say, for thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Our prayer is focused on Christ and Christ alone. And so as we look at the value of prayer, the value of prayer is that it happens in the possession of Christ, that he controls all things in his hands. Our prayers happen by the power of Christ, that he comes near to us, that he is the one that makes our prayers effectual, that the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf with words that we can't even describe, but that this is all done for the glory and the praise of Christ, our Savior, that he is the one, that he is the one that needs to have the glory and the power that all things would be for him. You see, our value of prayer doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from Christ. We are able to have a conversation with our God. Christ is in the Father, and the Father is in Christ. And so, if we love him, we will obey what he commands. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time in a moment of prayer. We have heard your word. We have heard what you would have us do. We know that yours is the kingdom. That all these things happen not in some time and space and place that we can't control. But Lord, we know that this happens in your fatherly hands where all things are controlled by you. Lord, we also know that our prayer is done in your name and in your name alone. The one who saves us. The one who washes us clean. The one who picks us up from the dirt. The one who gives us robes of white. And we know that this is for your glory alone. That you would be praised. That you would be glorified in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. And so Lord, as we continue this week, as we go from place to place, whether it be at home or at work, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in our prayer life, in us being salt, in us being water and green pastures to those around us. Lord, restore and comfort our souls. And so, Lord, we ask that your blessing would ring true 
your promise would be to us throughout the rest of this week. As I read this from Numbers chapter 6, Lord, we ask that this would apply to your people. That the Lord may bless you and keep you. That the Lord may make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord would turn his face toward you and give you peace. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the operation, the intermediary of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a blessed evening. May you go from place to place and be salt and light in this, the world of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good evening.